Hello and welcome back to the Keeper Lit Podcast with me, your host, Tara Gallagher. Okay, so hello everyone and welcome back to the Keeper Lit Podcast. Today I have Queen Emma with me. I'm so excited. Um, so I have Emma, ESD Fitness with me today and we're going to talk a little bit about menopause. So Emma, please introduce yourself. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So I'm Emma. I am primarily an online coach and I work mostly with peri or postmenopausal women. Wasn't really a conscious decision. It was just that most of my clients were of that age and then obviously started aging and then experienced menopause. And then I kind of became, I guess, a bit of an expert as a byproduct of that. So I was like, well, if all my clients go through this, I should really educate myself. And now I think I've coached with the EC method as well, probably way over 4,000 women who are going through the menopause or who are postmenopausal. Yeah. So most of what I'll share today and most of my experience and knowledge has come from working with people. There's obviously a lot that you can learn about the physiological side, but the the most important parts you'll learn as a coach and as helping someone try to lose weight, stay fit, whatever their goals are through menopause, is really just listening to your clients and yeah. having experience through them. I think that's really important because you were saying there, like we've coached like 4,000 women, but like every woman is going to go through this. And I think that not even just from a fat loss point of view or as a coaching point of view, like I don't think enough is taught to us like as women, like we don't know our own bodies. We don't know the like aging. We don't know the physiological responses of having a period. We don't even know about periods. Like it's absolutely insane. Um, And I noticed more as well, like, going through like my own coaching and starting was like the amount of women coming to me with with these different issues and even like my mom and like seeing them go through it and just not having I suppose any idea what's happening to their bodies I think that's what it is as well as like they just don't understand because nobody's teaching them as well so today we're really gonna like I suppose go through everything like Q&A style I'll ask you questions and then you can go through them so um yeah I think it's gonna be really really helpful for people so we'll start off anyway tell us a little bit about the menopause so anybody who maybe male or female is listening to this and is like I don't really know what that is can you explain it so I think that was a really good point that you made actually about like from what I always knew about the menopause it was like that's when you stop having periods yeah that's it like that's, <laughs> that's all you yeah, that's really <laughs> everything else that's going on so really what happens is you have this drop in estrogen and that's the main thing that's causing a lot of the symptoms of menopause it is when you stop having periods and it is when you stop um being able to have children as a byproduct of that obviously um and the definition is not having had a period for 12 months so okay. you can start going through perimenopause the average age is about 45 some people go through younger mm-hmm. or start younger and usually for a couple of years you'll be going through and perimenopause is probably the hardest part because you have these big fluctuations in hormones so people talk about this drop in estrogen but it's not just like a gradual drop like that would probably be better manageable yeah it's this fluctuation in hormones okay. and if you think about it like if you are a woman listening you're like oh I wonder what that's like people describe it as like PMS on steroids so like you know if, if you have PMS but actually you don't know what time of the month it's going to come mm-hmm. and it's more extreme so the reason that you get PMS type symptoms is again these fluctuations in hormones but they're relatively you know, obviously people have worse symptoms than others or PCOS or other conditions, but they're relatively like time ordered. So you're like, oh, it's the week before my period. Okay. This will probably last five to seven days. It's not going to be great, but I can understand it a little bit more if that's just happening at various times during the months. Yeah. Not, not quite so easy to, to manage. 100%. And then whenever you're saying perimenopause, so that's the same as premenopause. No, so premenopause pre, is like peri post, that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. so pre is just basically from when you start having your period until you start to have more irregular periods and this drop in estrogen. Then that's throughout perimenopause. And then after you've not had a period for a year, that is technically when you have gone through the menopause. But that period of time can take a few years. Okay, 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 okay. That clears that up. Okay. So a lot of the questions I put a QA box up, right? And a lot of the questions primarily were kind of just um about women who were struggling maybe with their body and like tiredness, 
fat loss um quite a lot of them describe like maybe having like their their lower tummy and stuff they find it quite difficult like basically saying that going through this part of their lives made it way more difficult for them to lose body fat right and um, now we all know that like a calorie deficit is what you need to lose body fat but like for them I feel like there's this thing of them feeling very much like this is an impossible thing for them to do so specifically for fat loss is it more difficult for women to lose body fat in this time? Why is it more difficult or what's going on there? Is it just that the symptoms are so, it's not the actual physiological process, it's the symptoms of the process that's causing this or what's happening? Yeah, so yes, it's 100% harder. Okay. It is harder primarily because of the symptoms. And I think that's a really um empowering message to put across because a lot of people say right I'm going through menopause one of the symptoms of the menopause is you're going to put on weight there's nothing I can do that's not true but is it a very common side effect yes because you've got all of these symptoms I mean even if we just look at one which is like poor sleep that we already know that that has a huge impact on like even like your mood the next day your hunger levels the next day even your insulin sensitivity the next day your motivation like even on a really basic level and you take kind of fat loss out of it just how you feel after what even one poor night's sleep is like can I really be bothered to do that much not really now if you're having numerous poor night's sleep and you're way hungrier and your motivation is lower and your willpower is lower because you're so tired and then you're like oh, I just need a bit of a pick-me-up so you make poorer food choices you can see how that even just that one thing makes fat loss significantly harder so it's definitely harder. You also mentioned like lower stomach. We do also see this like redistribution of body fat. And interestingly, that's primarily because estrogen is the female sex hormone, although men and women have estrogen. But we tend to start storing fat more like men after or during or after menopause. So that would be more around your middle. Now, as much as women don't like tend to not like having like whatever, I would never say this, but bingo wings and like yes of course yes they're actually a really safe place to store fat and that tends to be where women you know like the typical pear shape and then a man is a typical mm. act and one of the benefits of being a bit more pear shaped is that there is less metabolic uh negative side effects to storing fat peripherally so like around your bum or around mm. your arms than there is storing it centrally yeah. around essentially so we do see after or during menopause with this drop in estrogen, um, a redistribution of body fat. So even if you weren't gaining fat, you might notice these changes in your body. It's not necessarily that you're putting on fat. It's just that it's being stored in a slightly different place that you're not used to. Yes. And so that can make women, again, feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's weird, your body changing. Yeah, it is weird. But I think, like you said, it though, like knowing those things are going to happen, whether essentially you like it or not it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy but that's just how the body works can be also more empowering to kind of give you the tools back to be like right the balls in my court what am I going to do about this or you know how am I going to work with myself rather than work against myself and feel bad about it the whole time because I know a lot of the time especially even when I speak to women is is that whole thing where they're like well 20 years ago I looked like this or you know and realizing that you're not the same person like you've probably had kids since then or you know gone through a lot of different processes since then and you're completely different and they have this thing that they're attached to what they used to look like but like I don't even look how I used to look five years ago do you know and it's it's kind of hard to process that unless people start opening up and speaking about these things I guess and um, but like you said it's it's good to know that like it's not just all in your head but also it's mainly the symptoms that are really holding you back a little bit do you know because it's not again a self-fulfilling prophecy of being like well this is just what it is so we deal with it like at the fundamentals if you want to lose body fat you still need to be in a calorie deficit so link into that then sometimes women are like well I need to eat really really low calories like I suppose go into more of a deficit do you find that they do have to tend to like drop their calories a bit lower to to do that is it is is that a thing or um so one point I want to make about aging because I read this the other day and I thought what a good way to frame it and it was just some quote and it said something like your and I, I guess this is completely subjective right but generally you know we can probably agree like looks for you know for anyone realistically over the age of like 22 like they're generally getting 
I don't want to say worse, but like degrading <laughs> in value, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You peak, right? It's just yeah. yeah. It's not a yeah. yeah, right. We'll just say that. However, like everything else is going the opposite way. So like your experiences, like hopefully your, I don't know, your earning, I don't anything yeah. like your knowledge, how much you've read, how interesting a person you. That's you're- so true. And so when you put so much focus on something on like essentially an asset that is depreciating in value over time versus an asset that is increasing in value over time, i.e. like your brain, then like that's where there becomes this big like societal like issue of aging as a negative thing. And I don't think it is. And when you were like, oh, you know, you don't look like you're 20 yourself, like you don't look like them, sure. And maybe that was a more aesthetically pleasing body or you felt that it was, or that's how society views it. But actually everything else that you've achieved during that time is well worth the fact that, I know, your boobs sag a little bit at this point. 100%, it's so true. Like you're full of like, it's even the whole saying of like memories over macros, like sometimes going on a holiday and having a good time, like, that's not a bad thing to do like you haven't done anything wrong so it's the exact same thing like you said but so true like your body like you do essentially peak and then but your experiences through that or the same if like you let yourself go because you're really focusing on your business or something like that sometimes like things ebb and flow um but then again that's to your power as well um I guess yeah what were we Back saying box, right yeah. you were asking about do you need to lower yeah, your yeah, yeah. so there is a very small metabolic adaptation okay um, partly due to the reduction in estrogen, which would be mitigated to some extent if you were taking HRT and is probably almost all explained by the drop in muscle mass. That's often, again, like we're talking about correlations here. So you might say, oh, a side effect of menopause is reduction in muscle mass. Well, not if you lift weights, right? So a lot of these things, like same with fat loss, like a side effect of menopause is fat loss. Oh, sorry, it's fat gain, but like it doesn't have to be. So you can kind of, like your actions will dictate that. So if you're reducing the amount of muscle that you have, your basal metabolic rate will reduce slightly. A lot of people hear this kind of stuff and they're like, oh my God, you need less calories when you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, I'll need to slash my calories to 1200. When you look at the magnitude of effect here, and that's such an important thing to highlight, the study that I looked at was, I think it was like 68 calories on average a day. Okay, so, so it's, it's not like oh, I used to diet on 1800 calories and now I can only eat a thousand a day it's like yeah even you could still diet on 1800 calories but your deficit would be 68 calories less than it was previously so fat loss might I mean would you even notice that probably not in real world situation but it would be marginally slower right so you might be like all right I'm gonna cut out 68 calories from my diet so it's not huge changes the principles of fat loss are the exact same yeah but putting them is harder yeah okay that's that's actually a really good way to say it like it's the exact same but it's just a little bit harder to do it but it's not a reason not to do it and also when you were talking about like your basal metabolic rate there um that's the same for even if anyone like I stop weight training and like it's the same for everyone it's just like that's a natural process so it's not just happening at the menopause but just tends to happen at the same time so that's also empowering for people to know that it's again not a self-fulfilling prophecy being like this happens right whenever I start this process and it's working against me it's the same principle I guess to that point like one of the reasons that people lose muscle mass during menopause or post-menopause is because estrogen is quite anabolic as in it's easier to build muscle mass well it's more to the point it's easier to recover and adapt from exercise with higher levels of estrogen so that is one of the reasons that there is this like correspondence there that doesn't mean that you can't build muscle mm-hmm. like it, it this and the same principles apply it's just a bit harder yeah okay and then I suppose Lincoln like straight over from that then exercise like so a lot of um I'll, I'll go at two points here but first of all like what exercises would you recommend like I think you've clearly said they're like resistance training is kind of where you want to go in uh but maybe for somebody who hasn't done that before is that what you would primarily like still be like we need to push you over towards that hundred percent resistance training I think it's like you can't really have health without some form of resistance training but what and people hear that and they're like oh my god bodybuilder in the gym no that's never going to be me resistance training is body weight squats like body is resistance right so it doesn't have to be extreme and you can work your way up to going and lifting weights or lifting heavier weights 
but there needs to be some kind of resistance. And then I think like there's always this dichotomy when you're asked about exercise of like, what's the best exercise to do? Like, yeah. Probably you wanted to do some resistance training, a bit of cardio, some like Pilates or like balance type work is probably beneficial too, especially as you age. And then for your physical health and your mental health, but different forms of exercise have different benefits. So if you're only doing resistance training, you're not going to get all the cardiovascular benefits of cardio training. And if you're doing yoga, you're not going to get all the strength benefits of lifting weights, right? So actually the best program would have a a bit of all of it. Yeah. I do think that the reason that like, I've probably definitely been guilty of pushing resistance training heavily is because a lot of people don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. There was a hierarchy. I'd probably put that at the top yeah and then also I guess that also links into like the generations like not all and I'm not saying like this is not a this is a blanket statement but I'm not saying this to everyone but like I know that especially like right now like even like say for example like my mom and stuff they weren't brought up with like resistance training you know like they are very still much like go run the roads and you'll like lose body you know that kind of slimming world type vibes are still in their head because that's what they grew up with whereas now we're like coming up with like you know strong women in the gym and like it's like not easier for us but we've grew up around that culture so it's kind of hard to swap somebody's mindset across to go from classes or you know running the roads to resistance training but how would you say like how would you persuade them into it like in a basic example if that makes sense yeah, I think it, you're right. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see the next generation of women and how they age and if that's, you know, better than what we've seen previously because of just the focus on cardio or just even just not enough focus on exercise in general. But it'd be really interesting to see like women who have resistance trained throughout their lives and how they age, um, how to get change someone's mindset. I think I mean, my approach is always like explaining the science behind it. Yeah. And that, you know, some of these changes mean that A, it's harder to build and maintain muscle. So you need to work harder for it. And B, like one of the other negatives of being postmenopausal is a higher risk of osteoporosis. And then even, and I think this is usually what um helps people or like is the most motivating for people, but um quality of life as you age like how long do you want to be able to do stuff for yourself versus being at home and menopause is quite an interesting age now because usually menopausal women maybe not usually but a lot of menopausal women will have relatively older kids and then they'll also have aging parents right so they can see their parents and they can kind of see maybe how they don't want to be or like I want to live as long as I can independently Mm -hmm quite motivated now to be like right I can see what's happening there and I'm actually probably in some cases like looking after my own aging parents yeah I don't want that to happen to my own children you know so you can kind of like have an perspective in that sense yeah 100% it also just like like you said there it also shows the external pressures that also come into play there and I don't think they're probably spoken about enough either is like you've got aging parents that you're probably looking after you've got kids you've got your own job you know that might be some people's peak of their career you know like a lot is going on in that time frame so also again not a self-fulfilling prophecy but like recognizing that those things are also hard and it's not you know just as easy to eat out of a meal prep box and go to the gym for an hour and a half a day we're not saying that that's exactly what you need to do either like you can fit it in and it can be shorter periods of time but moving on from that in an exercise point of view I suppose um I think what it was is a lot of women and I'll tie into sleep now but we're saying that they're like so exhausted unmotivated um like the they couldn't get the best time to work out because they just felt like lethargic and fatigued the whole time is that one of the things where even like I know as a younger person like if you don't do something you don't know the benefits of it until you do it so sometimes you have to push there but is it also because of their sleep being impacted that's causing that as well? Yeah, this is hard because you're right. Like, and I think especially with menopausal women, like we know that the number one thing that you like, I think there's a quote from a review and it's like the only non-controversial treatment for menopause is diet and exercise. That's it. Like that's the best thing that you can do for menopausal symptoms is diet and exercise. 
Now, try telling that to someone who's sleeping like crap, having hot flushes, you know, has all these external stresses that we've just spoken about, moods been massively impacted, like rates of depression go up because again, estrogen receptors are all over your body, including in your brain. So there's so many impacts that this has. And then you're like, what you need to do is improve your diet and exercise. And they're like, my motivation for that is zero. So I think the important part is focusing on like very small increases because then you start to feel better, right? And the way that I approach it is is it all comes from your mood. Like it is so much easier to take care of yourself when you're in a good mood. Uh So the first thing you do is like, right, we're just going to introduce a walk every day. And you start to feel marginally better from doing that. Then we have a little look at your diet and you start to feel marginally better. And as you start to feel better, it's actually easier to then take the bigger steps. And then we're going to start going to the gym and that makes you feel better as well. And then it's that it's like you have to start before you feel like starting, but you don't have to start and do five gym sessions a week because you'll end up just presenting it or not even starting because it seems mammoth. So it's taking the, the small steps. The other thing I will say about exercise is that is one thing that I do generally, and I want to make this clear. So like generally change for peri or postmenopausal women, but that would depend on if they're taking HRT, but more to the point them and their symptoms. Cause I think that now that we talk about menopause more, we actually um, maybe like gloss over the fact that some women actually breeze through it. And I know that that's really annoying because I'm having a really hard time which is probably why they don't speak about it so much or we don't you know you're not going to have a headline like woman breezes through menopause and has barely any symptoms like one yeah. is rubbing it in for other people that are struggling and two like it's not news right yeah there are like I've coached hundreds of women that have kind of not really had a hard time at all so I haven't changed anything yeah, yeah. right but then with some women, I have reduced the size, like, so the volume in their session. So it'd be like shorter workouts, actually generally more frequently. So like every other day, shorter workouts rather than like longer workouts that you might do twice a week or something. Yeah. Um, and that's because you do have this reduced ability to recover from exercise. So there's that element. But then there's also what you just touched on, which is like, if you're exhausted, being like oh my god this hour-long workout there's no way if you're like you'll be in and out of the gym within 30 minutes and you'll start to like you'll feel better because you're right and that exercise gives you energy to a point yeah but if you do too much of it and you're not able to recover from it it will make you more tired so it's about like the right dose for the individual and that dose will change as well like kind of taking it away from menopause but one of the questions I always get when I share that I do pull-ups every day is like don't you think that's really stupid because you won't recover from blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my body is completely used to doing pull-ups every day. It would be like, like, don't you think walking every day and using those same muscles is a little bit stupid because you're not going to recover from it. Like your body gets used to what you put on it. Okay. So one of my best mates runs a CrossFit gym and she's like trying to be, you know, like she's a CrossFit athlete, right? So she trains twice a day. I, there's no way that I could recover from that. But I, I mean, I would be able to if I worked up to training twice a day. Yeah, yeah. and you fueled for that as well. Exactly, yeah. and the amount that they focus on recovery as well. Like, yeah, yeah. To- they, they basically are full-time athletes. Like, they live around it. So people often kind of ask you those blanket statements of like, well, that's too much training or that's not enough, you know, and really yeah. on the individual and their fitness levels. Like, if you wanted to train yourself to be able to train twice a day and recover, you could it would take a while but you could get there yeah but it's mostly of your fitness and, and capabilities but with menopause the, there's the added reduction in estrogen which again makes it harder to recover from well, like with, with hrt like that that would be mitigated yeah and i guess with anything like we you'll only know if it's too much too little by giving it go for a week and if you can't keep it off then there you go there's your answer like then you just adjust you know you take it down because everyone loves to go hell for leather and especially I think some like I think you always have two sides of like a camp where there's some people who are going through that and they're like right I'm gonna take my health into my own hands and are very like health I just want to feel better like how do I get through this to you know like make sure that I'm improving my health and my overall well-being and just feeling good and don't care about aesthetics and then you've got the other camp that are like still maybe attached to 
who they previously were and, and struggle a little bit more with that side of things. But overall, like the point of health and exercise on your diet is to improve your overall well-being, not just how you look. Um, and it can be hard for some people to get that into their heads. But until they start doing those things. You yeah, don't... it's less tangible as well, isn't it? It's like yeah. I'm always trying to tell this to people if they, I don't know, say they do thrive and they're like, I came with a with a fat loss goal, but I haven't lost any weight. But actually they started exercising and they were never exercising before. I know you can't see it, but you have no idea the benefit that you're doing for your health. Like yeah. if you, I used to do 3000 steps a day and now I'm doing 8,000 and I'm resistant training three times a week, but I'm so annoyed I've failed because I only lost two pounds or I didn't lose any weight or, you know, whatever. Like that is so much more important. Yeah. And like, even when you look at the the data on this, fitness is a better predictor of mortality than BMI. So like we focus on fat loss so much but actually your fitness levels are way more important and if you focus on that it's usually more empowering as well so you will probably like if you're overweight and you're trying to get fit you'll probably end up losing fat partly because the behaviors will bleed into each other a little bit like oh I've been to the gym you're probably not gonna be like do you know what I'll have a greasy burger on the way home you, you probably just like make better choices yeah want to fuel your body well and then as a byproduct of that, you'll lose fat. But I think with the focus on fat loss, like you can negate how much good you're doing with exercise. Yeah, that's so, so true. But then I guess if we were to like blanket, well, this is this is blanket, right? If you were to say like somebody who was like, right, what exercise should I do? Like how many times you would recommend doing it maybe more frequently. So say like every other day for a shorter amount of time with some form of resistance training, at least in there. And then a little bit of what you love and a little bit more of like cardio for your heart and stuff like that. That's kind of like a blanket recommendation. Yeah, that's a pretty good blanket. But if you're like, I'm not doing any exercise at the moment, that seems overwhelming. Yeah, a walk. Yeah, can't emphasize enough, like doing anything. Anything is better than nothing. Like, 100%. want to do Zumba. Cool. Whatever it is, is better than what you're doing now. Yeah. And that's a good frame as well as like, it's you versus the version of you that's not doing anything, right? Yeah, that's you, it's a little bit then and I think a lot of people who aren't doing anything are almost using the like it's almost like a procrastination thing of well I don't know exactly what to do so I'll just do nothing it's like realistically do you think that doing maybe anything would be beneficial and I say this as someone who completely does this in other contexts like I'm oh, saying for sure for sure but like, for like, sure. <laughs> like work by it's like oh yeah I don't know what to do so I'll just do nothing like do you think that maybe just like starting what? away would be good? <laughs> that was like paralysis analysis. Oh my god! When it comes to diet and exercise, fine. Any other areas of like, mm. <laughs> like, but that's it though. It's like even recognizing that and giving yourself like I always say, I'm like, if you're gonna give yourself like what, like twenty minutes to wallow in it, but then you make a decision and just do something at least because otherwise doing nothing is going to get you absolutely nowhere. Like that's the only way you can do and achieve nothing is by doing nothing. At least if you feel you've learned something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's such good research on this as well. Like the first hour of exercise you do per week has this massive benefit to health. Then over and above that, it's like you're still getting a benefit, but the gradient on that line is just like almost kind of flattening out mm -hmm. as you go up. So like more isn't exponentially better. Actually, it's the first part that's so important. And mm -hmm. if there's like one thing in my career that I want to get over to people, it's that. It's like if you're doing nothing, doing something is so influential like you get the vast majority of the health benefits from the first like 3,000 steps you do and then they keep increasing until like 8,000 steps and then it basically levels out yeah. now that we don't do more than 8,000 steps because you'll still increase your energy expenditure which if fat loss is your goal it's probably right. going to be beneficial for you but like you're not getting that much health benefits over and above that it's actually just so important that you do something like the person who's going from doing 2000 steps a day to 3000 steps a day is getting way more benefit than the person who's doing 9000 steps and then is moving up to 10000 steps it's the same thousand extra steps yeah perhaps on someone who's inactive is just massive compared to someone who's already active yeah so that's even like if you had a goal of 10000 steps and you were 
like okay today I literally can only get seven well there's no point I'll just do four no like there's literally a point like there's so much point like I would far rather someone come to check in being like I didn't do the 10,000 but like I literally could only do the seven I did the seven perfect like that is what you were supposed to do that exactly in that situation it's not about being perfect all the time or that number of 10,000 because people are so attached to that but like like you said if you were doing 4,201 can you do 4,202 today, you know? And then that adds up at a compound effect, but that that is so useful. I guess then just with the um exercise thing and you're saying like, and I know that like from research, exercising first thing in the morning has a lot of benefits, et cetera. But do you recommend for people, obviously this is blanket again, because like we all know that if you can only go at half past three or half past seven or 10 o'clock at night, whatever you can go at is the best thing. But is there more benefit to going maybe first thing in the morning to like, rather than if you have the choice if this was if this was a thing where you could like I can choose when I can go today yeah I still think the main benefit of going in the morning is like how you feel for the rest of the day like I exercise in the morning because it makes me feel good now if I only if I exercised at 6 p.m I only get to feel good until I go to bed you know (laughs) whereas like if you exercise at 6 a.m you're like I've got this kind of like not smug compared to anybody else but just like smug like yeah I got that in I've done that I've ticked the box the other thing is you start making choices because you've already like I I don't know exactly how to frame this but it's like the opposite of sunk costs right so sunk costs being like oh I've put so much time into this thing I'm just going to keep doing it even though I know it's the wrong thing right typically it'll be like the relationship you've been on in for 10 years but you're both unhappy but you've been together 10 years so you may as well stay like makes no sense right but the opposite of that would be like how you can use sunk cost as a benefit so you're kind of like well I've already invested in my health this morning I've done something that's in line with my goal I'm not going to come home and have a fry up right I'm going to come home and probably make a a smarter uh, breakfast choice yeah then again you're like oh well now that I've been to the gym and had a good healthy breakfast you're not going to like eat a load of cake at work because you're like well I've already done these oh I'll just you know good trend and we often see the opposite right you start your day badly and then you're like well I'll just start again tomorrow because I've already gone over my calories that I had allocated for breakfast and it's like the negative spiral of that yeah that's one of the reasons that exercise in the morning is so useful is because of the subsequent actions now does it matter when you exercise no No. like just get it done whenever it suits you and if you're you know, we do know that there are chronotypes as in some people are morning people and other people really aren't. Yeah. Interesting is what most people are is in the middle and they don't have either. So that you can, you can make yourself more of a morning yeah. person. But that's the thing though. You can literally do that. Like you can definitely do that. Like the first time you get up first thing in the morning, like, do you think everyone's buzzing to get out of bed? Absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. I think they have this thing that we have this like, extra gene that makes us buzzing to wake up no I don't want to go there either but (laughs) but I'm fucking there and then 10 minutes later you'll be happy out but you have to do it in order for you to realize and also if you think that you're going to be able to wake up at 9 a.m normally every day for for your entire life and then all of a sudden get up at six and feel okay are you well unless you've got a holiday at the other side of that you're not gonna be buzzing to get up at 6 a.m like I think people just (laughs) I'm like what if you rationally thought about that give yourself a bit of a break and just start small people just don't like to do that but anyway so that there you go there's your answer it's not there's no benefit to well any point of the day any point of the day is good but if you could get an off on the right foot in the morning and even if you feel a little bit tired push through that and you will feel better I think you're just more likely to do it as well oh 100 no one expects anything of you at 6 a.m so like you've got that time whereas the day gets busy and then something happens and then you were going to go to the gym at six, but now it's going to be half six. And now it's not, you've not got enough time because the kids need to have dinner. And then it's like, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Even with the best intentions, like life just gets in the way. Whereas if you get it done first thing, it's much less likely. Yeah. 100%. Okay. And then relating, sorry to um, sleep, right? supplements a lot of people love to go on the supplements and um, bandwagon and also I think I guess we'll bring in here like there's so many things out there that are kind of blanketed towards like the menopause as in that are just bullshit kind of like skinny teas and fat loss teas that are just targeted at their vulnerability mm-hmm. what's your opinion on anything that's like branded 
the menopause anything yeah exactly that anything that's branded towards menopausal women I would be really skeptical of like really really skeptical and that's not to say all of it's complete bullshit but just really question that because they're playing to marketing hype and it's sad because it's like you know I was there in a different situation with my back like I would have just tried anything to see if something would help my back and I know that these women feel exactly the same it's like well you know I'd, I'd and you'd rather realistically throw money at something than make the lifestyle changes, which take a lot more time mm-hmm. and effort, which I totally understand as well. So most of them are completely unevidence based. However, and this is quite interesting, saying that there was a review that showed that you can get up to 50% reduction in menopausal symptoms from placebo. Okay. So basically those supplements probably do work if you think that they're going to work, but they don't work because of the active ingredient. Now, if it's like, you know, I don't know, it ends up being like 10 pounds a month for these supplements that you're going to get. And actually they, they via placebo get you incredible benefits. Fine. But if it's like, you know, hundreds of pounds that you're spending on these supplements or they've got other negative side effects or then no, like that isn't something I would be recommending. Um, would and, you recommend any supplements then? Well, there are some that will benefit. A lot of them will mimic like to a very lesser degree estrogen. So like increasing like phytoestrogens in your diet or supplementing with that. But then you've got to consider that's a drop in the ocean compared to taking HRT. And then why are you not taking HRT? So if you're not taking HRT, for example, for breast cancer risk, you also wouldn't want to take these supplements. So you have to be careful with that as well. And then it can also mess up your HRT dose. So I would always speak to your doctor if you are thinking of taking supplements. Generally, the ones that I would recommend at any age are still relevant. So like creatine, vitamin D, if you live in the UK, some protein becomes more important as you age, again, because you've got this like dampened anabolic response. So increasing that would be a really good start. And then I would just say that they all, I would say diet, exercise, like creatine, protein, all just become more important during menopause because actually staying healthy and the the same results that you want just become that bit harder. Um, So yeah, like it's not really, most of this stuff isn't different. It's just like more important, like it's even more important that you resistance train because it's even harder to build or maintain muscle. Yeah. Okay, and then suppose like I guess when I was coming on it was like even people always be like magnesium for your sleep and like you know that that point of view. Um, but then I suppose it's the same for like anyone. You know, some people might be taking a placebo for magnesium and thinking that it's working and then or yeah. taking you know it's the same. Magnesium will help with sleep, and if it does help with your sleep then take it like there's not you're not gonna yeah. I mean but it's, just... it's not the answer it's not gonna be the blanket answer like you can try that I guess and see if it works if it doesn't work then it's not it's not really worth it um and then I guess you touched there on HRT so tell us a little bit about HRT and everything about it yeah so from a coaching standpoint my only real job with HRT is to tell people to speak to their doctors about 100%, it 100 yeah 100 percent but usually it's a replacement of the hormones that you're lacking. So an incre- depends. it depends on various factors, actually, but you may get given HRT, so estrogen and progesterone and sometimes testosterone as well. It depends okay. where you go and what your situation is and things like breast cancer risk as well have okay. considered. But again, it's a discussion with your GP, but I think our job as coaches is more to like empower that discussion and also help women realize having menopausal symptoms and potentially break down the stigma which I think is being done more and more now but there used to be this real fear of taking HRT and like oh and it definitely increases your risk of certain cancers or it's you know it's um it's not natural so we shouldn't be taking it and if you really think about it as like replacing the hormones that you've lost saying that there is actually quite a lot of controversy around it uh and i i would just recommend speaking about what's best for you because with this you really can't blanket statement no 100 i guess that was that was literally what i needed to say i suppose was just 
that like even if I was your coach or Emma was your coach or anyone was your coach like they really shouldn't be talking to you about it at all you really need to go to a doctor but empowering that discussion to be like actually it's an option and it's it's whether it, it works for you you have to weigh up the benefits and the risks for yourself but it's always there and it shouldn't be feared either to go and have that conversation um yeah. what we can do as coaches as well is help with the like I what the doctor's really going to ask is like what symptoms are you having when so if you can track that kind of stuff beforehand yeah. that isn't really an easy test for just like oh you're perimenopausal because hormones fluctuate all the time it's quite hard to tell so really what they normally go off is your symptoms so that would be something to keep a track of and then yeah it's not it's not right for everybody yeah uh, 100 percent um okay yeah no that was good um and then I think the last type one was just kind of like if you were to recommend anything for anyone to kind of like include in their diets or like is there anything specific that they should I suppose add in a little bit extra rather than just like take out constantly not just yeah. for funnels but for overall health so yeah I don't want to just sound like a broken record but basically everything pre-menopause is just as important yeah but that's what it that's what the message needs to be you know like people are expecting this to be really different I I knew it wasn't going to be but I was like at least if they hear from another voice or you know like somebody who's worked with like four thousand literal women on this and sometimes they're looking for the secret ingredient you know like the secret one thing that's gonna add to your diet and be perfect but yeah so I will say a few things about diet but I think the the overall message really is that and I work with a lot of women who have like who I don't know maybe haven't struggled with weight loss at all their whole lives and now they do so a lot of things can be exacerbated even things like neurodivergent tendencies like ADHD and things are exacerbated during menopause if you've ever struggled with like anxiety or depression again like this is a time where it normally kind of comes yeah problem so there are loads of things that you'll be going through which makes fat loss or even just staying healthy or not gaining a lot of weight much harder when it comes to diet like you could in theory be like this is going to be optimal but realistically it's like what can you actually stick to is one thing and this goes for all fat loss not just menopause but when people are like no but what's the perfect diet and it's like all you need to do is focus on getting a little bit more protein and making sure you you get some fruit and veg in because at the moment you're not eating any right there's optimal and then there's like from where you are what's the next step to make to improve this diet which yeah. which will be very different generally the best diet for health is the mediterranean diet um so making sure you're getting in whole grains then that's more the mediterranean diet isn't like a specific diet it's more like a, a way of eating yeah. so not like not not eating meat but not an excessive amount more previously like, like a vegetarian who eats meat right yeah which actually is kind of how I eat so like I don't yeah. eat but like when I go out for dinner I normally have fish yeah and that tends to be like two times a week so I'm like yeah but you don't need to call it a name right no no you don't have to label yourself we don't put each other in boxes <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah the diet doesn't necessarily need to change you could look at like in- including more phytoestrogens in your diet but again HRT would be better than doing that if you're looking to increase estrogen yeah um, um some women would actively want to avoid that as well so you can't blanket recommend that yeah. um there is some interesting research around highly processed foods and an increase in symptoms um basically the more highly processed foods that you eat the worse your symptoms are what I found quite interesting about this and why you have to be quite careful when you're looking at research is that was observational data. So we don't know whether actually women who have more severe symptoms are more likely to emotionally eat or have cravings or have a poorer diet as a side effect of their symptoms or whether their diet is causing worse symptoms. Like you don't know which way. And I would say it's probably a bit of both and they exacerbate each other, right? Well, that, that's um, like everything isn't it so you probably do want to minimize highly processed foods but yeah you can't see what one is causal yeah okay and then um I think I've got two last things to say but the one of them is just a little bit I suppose on like because I know that we both like are very into journaling and like mindset like do you find maybe women who pick up like the habit of journaling 
tend to also deal with things a little bit better so I think that's a lot of it as well it's not just like struggles with fat loss it's like just not really know what's going on in your in your body which can also then link into your mind being like what is wrong with me and having that isolated feeling of like is it just me that's going through this because it's not really openly talked about would you have any like tips for that kind of like the mindset side of things journaling definitely helps I think when it comes to sleep as well because we've already spoken about the fact that it's often a time where you've got like teenage kids or they're just going off to uni which is stressful in itself you're going through a lot your parents are potentially aging you're probably at the peak of your career like there's so much going on that writing stuff down is really useful but often the sleep problems are at least partly explained by that so the fact that you've got a lot going on so one thing that I do is brain dump before bed so I'm like right if I need to switch off like there's a ton of stuff going on in my head I'm just like right these are all the things that need to get done here's a little to-do list for the morning and then you can kind of switch off because it's written down and you know it's going to get done yeah that's really really helpful and it only takes five minutes right and I think a lot of these things are so simple that people won't do them like journaling about your day saying one thing that you're grateful for like that in itself like it will take it takes almost no time to do but because it's so simple people like I'm not gonna do it yeah or like have it doesn't work I'm like it's been two days honestly different after journaling yesterday (laughs) I know or even um I guess like they're like I know personally whenever I give out like journaling prompts or get them in to start journaling it's like but what prompt next and I'm like no just do like gratitude journaling every day it doesn't need to be like unpacking your childhood like it's not therapy as such as as much as it's amazing too like you know that habit of getting into that like positive mindset of being like what are you grateful for replicating that over time I do it every day and have done for years it's not about doing it for one week and then thinking okay I'm gonna be this like magical guru it's about replicating and doing that thing consistently so it's the same with everything like diet exercise these things can't just be done in a week and then you expect to feel better you need to do it over time and then get the benefits of it after like delayed gratification type thing that's exactly how you change your mindset right and I think I I was so against journaling for ages. I'm not against it, but I was just like, what well, waste of time. Like, why would I write something I'm grateful for every day? Like, just didn't really see the point. And yeah. what really clicked for me was realizing, I guess, kind of how the brain works a little bit and that we have this negativity bias. And that one of the only ways you can start to sway that towards seeing more positive things is to point them out to yourself every single day. So the point of the, the daily gratitude isn't really like in the moment it's more that and you'll notice this over time and it will nothing will suddenly click you won't suddenly hit your goal weight on the scales or something like that or lift your pb you'll just start to realize like oh I actually just generally see more positive things in my life and it will be so subtle that you'll probably not notice it and then suddenly actually you're the positive person in your friend group and yeah person who you know like something bad will happen like your car breaks down and you'll be like oh at least I brought my book that's so nice I'll just get to read this and then you're like holy shit usually I'd be like you know a couple of years ago before I started journaling I'd be like this is the worst day ever why bad things always happen to me blah 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 victim mentality but it's that like that's the change that you're looking for in journaling and it's so impactful to your whole life so impactful and like like that's what you said even if you do have that one split second I find like if I have a split second of thought of like oh and like hang on a second you know what's going to happen here you're either going to go that way and it's going to spiral or you're going to pull yourself back and be like if this is not going to matter in five months time it's not going to matter in five minutes so let it go and then you can like switch the switch it but I definitely used to be like that used to be like an absolute terrier but it takes practice to get that in so definitely recommend journaling and then I guess the last question before I let you go Emma is as a coach and for other coaches this was actually asked to me by a coach like what can we do to support our clients or what would you recommend that we could do uh in a word listen because as I've said like it's different for everybody you might have clients that go through menopause really easily and they don't need much support you might have clients who have a really hard time one thing I will say as a coach because obviously through EIQ like I work with a lot of coaches there's often this pressure that you think this is why I was almost I didn't want to be dismissive with HRT but like 
I don't need to know that. So, and I have looked into a lot of it, but I don't really need to know that stuff as a coach, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm never going to prescribe it. It's not my job. And nor should I really even give my opinion on what the doctors said, because yeah. I don't know someone's full medical history or why they've said what they've said. And as a, like, I'm like, take the pressure off yourself yeah. because you're a personal trainer at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And what, the impact you can have is massive, but it's in diet and exercise and behavior change and maybe some journaling to make people, you know, that's that's even over and above really what like- Yeah, those are all supernumerary things. Like actually caring about your clients after and following up is like, is supernumerary. Like, and I don't think people realize that. I think people expect you to be a life coach, a therapist, a doctor and a personal trainer. And I don't know, some sort of other specialist on top of it, but and like, you see this with, like, the coaches on AFM all the time, right? Like there's people put so much pressure on themselves to be everything to everyone. So don't be afraid to say like, like okay, given what your doctor said, like, this is what we can do, or this is what we can help with, yeah. but you won't need to, to be everything. So I would focus on the diet and the exercise side, listen to your clients, see what they're struggling with and help them come up with solutions, but really approach this as like, with all my clients I'm like we're a team and we're going to find out how to to figure this out for you and really that's the kind of support that people need when they're really struggling it's like I want someone on my team to support me throughout this you don't need to have all of the answers uh, and you won't have them before you start anyway because you don't really know what's going to happen yeah so it's more like a can-do attitude open mind learn from each of your clients um but don't get too stressed out with like the medical side because it's great to be like we're just personal trainers yeah but it's true and also that is technically outside of your scope of practice so like that that's that's it that's the really bottom line um anyway this was so good Emma thank you so much I'm sure everyone has learned but where can we find you you can find me at at ESG fitness if you have any questions about menopause then I am always happy to answer Okay, and you may as well plug AFM because there's not many coaches eavesdropping in here. The <laughs> reason like, we really know each other is AFM, which is the mentorship for personal trainers. And you can find that at AF Mentors. Perfect. Well, thank okay. you so much. Or actually, I should probably say afmentors.com or esgfitness.co.uk. Yes, perfect. I will link it all in the description box below. But thank you so much, Emma. Um, I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. If you do, please make sure you like and share it and tag both I and Emma on it. And we'll see you next time. Keep it lit.